Weeks ago, a lot of weeks ago, sorry about that, Lenovo, we had our comparison between the Lenovo Duet and the iPad Not Pro, and the Duet performed quite well. After that, I sat down with Wahid Rizali from the Lenovo to talk about Lenovo's more out-there projects, and we had a fun conversation. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week, we've got announcements. We've got tech, yeah! We've got a chat with a cool dude from Lenovo. We are packed full of jam this week, but first, of course, we have to cover our news of the week. So how's this for irony? This week, a state environmental agency employee was flying a drone doing a routine survey of Lake Michigan. Suddenly, the drone lost control. It turns out the drone lost a battle to an eagle flying nearby, which ripped off one of the propellers. Well, they're called quadcopters for a reason, and it's not because tricopter wasn't catchy enough. The drone plummeted down into the lake and was lost even after two hours of a grid search. Sucks for that agency, since it was a $950 drone, but that's not the fun part. The fun part is that the drone pilot works for the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy, which is surely a mouthful, which is why they abbreviated it down to E-G-L-E, or Eagle. That's right, Eagle's drone was taken out by an eagle, and the best part is, Eagle took it very well with the official blog post saying, quote, the attack could have been a territorial squabble with an electric foe, or just a hungry eagle, or maybe it didn't like its name being misspelled. Well played, Eagle Blogger. Well played, indeed. The dream is still alive for a completely bezel-less display, and it gets one step closer with the ZTE Axon 20 5G smartphone with under-display selfie camera. Fans of the Axon line, or fan, as the case may be, will remember arguably the most famous Axon phone in recent memory, the Axon Surface Duo. <clears throat> I mean, the Axon M. ZTE is one of the pioneers in dual-screen phones, and now it is leading the charge in under-screen selfie cameras. Is this something we need? That remains to be seen. No pun intended. The big caveat here is that ZTE is launching the first mass-produced, air quotes, under-screen selfie camera. Most, if not all, OEMs have been working on them, and Oppo actually showed one off about 18 months ago or so, but this is the first one that you'll be able to buy and by you, I mean theoretically you if you live in the right region. Never mind. We don't know about price or availability yet, but the launch event happens on September 1st, so we'll find out more then, probably. I know it's a rumor, and I'm sorry, but it's kind of a rumor that's a big deal. This week, Beat Saber launched a new music pack with 11 songs from Linkin Park, including One Step Closer, Numb, and a bunch of other songs I've never heard of. Honestly, Linkin Park just came out at the wrong time for me. I was never really a fan. I was kind of locked into the metal scene there and didn't really appreciate the artistry that they were trying to do. These days, I'm older, so I'm a bit more perspective and less picky, and I don't care as long as I get to wave lightsabers around. It could be any of those. What I really appreciate is the fairly big names that we're seeing coming out of the Beat Saber camp. Green Day and Linkin Park really weren't my scene growing up, but they're culturally significant, and getting them to license music is a big deal, 
and likely the result of the Facebook acquisition, so it's better all around. And yes, I know, I can hack my Oculus and put all the songs ever made on there, but I just haven't done that. I believe in supporting artists and their work and respecting their IP, and if Metallica doesn't want their songs played on Beat Saber, then I respect that. I think they're nuts, but I respect it. Speaking of Facebook and Oculus, it was announced this week that Oculus headsets will no longer accept separate Oculus accounts. Only Facebook accounts will get you in starting later this year. Existing Oculus accounts will continue to work for just over two years until January 1st, 2023. This is a move that is not surprising, like at all. The only thing surprising about this is that it took this long for it to happen. So will Oculus users want a Facebook account? I guess that depends, though a bulk of them probably already have one. I do. I just don't use it. So yeah, this kind of sucks, but honestly, whether the crappy company run by terrible people get your data through a Facebook account or an Oculus account, it doesn't really matter. Just don't use Facebook, and you'll be fine. Have you ever spent way, way, way too much time staring at the unending list of videos offered by Netflix and wondered just what the hell you're going to watch? Well, take my advice, and if you ever find yourself doing that, just go read something. But Netflix wants to solve that problem by giving you the I'm Feeling Lucky button in Netflix. I'm Feeling Lucky, you'll recall, is a button that you can click on at Google.com to go to one of the top ten results in your search. Well, Netflix is bringing that experience to... Netflix. The idea here is that you can hit the shuffle play button. That's what it's called, by the way, shuffle play. So if you hit the button, it randomly picks a video that it thinks you want to watch. So if Netflix recommends and I'm feeling lucky had a baby, again, no pun intended, then that's the shuffle play button. And to tell the truth, Netflix's recommendation engine is pretty good. It's often spot on with a new show for me to watch or a movie to check out, but I'm not sure I quite trust it that much, at least not until Netflix allows us to remove shows from our continue queue. It's gotten to the point where I now watch trailers for Netflix shows on YouTube because I don't want Netflix to think I'm interested in it until I'm actually interested in it because those recommendations are persistent, man. Hey, remember this trailer you watched a year ago? We've still got it! Ugh. <sighs> Break out the popcorn, kids, because this Apple and Google versus Epic fight is getting more and more fun. Earlier this week, Apple threatened to pull Epic Games' developer certificate, which basically gives them access to the App Store and developer tools in general. Epic filed a legal injunction against it, saying that it would do irreparable harm against its business. Yeah, no kidding. Apple then released a statement saying, Hey, look! We don't want to pull their developer certificate. All Epic needs to do is release an update to their game that complies with our rules, and we'll be happy to have them aboard. No problem. But Epic's like, no, we want more money. And Apple's like, sweetheart, everybody, <coughs> except Amazon, has to follow these rules, and so do you. When you get as rich as Jeff Bezos, you can give us a call and we'll chat, okay? Okay. And that's really the thing that bugs me about this and has to be grinding the gears of Epic Games. Amazon did get a sweetheart deal back in April that allows existing Prime members to buy or rent movies without using Apple's system and having to pay the quote-unquote Apple tax. Epic CEO Tim Sweeney wrote on Twitter back then congratulating Amazon on basically working the system. Then Epic tried the same thing and... It didn't go well. Sorry, Tim, you're not as needed as Amazon, so you'll just have to go take a walk and get back in line with everybody else. 
And speaking of Amazon, yes, this is an awkward segue, but that's okay because I hung a lantern on it. The Boys is Amazon's awesome TV series centering around supers who are very much like the Justice League. You know, Superman, Wonder Woman, etc. But imagine the Justice League with corporate sponsorships, social media managers, and absolutely no moral center whatsoever. If you're familiar with the series, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if not, you really should be. Well, Season 2 hasn't even come out yet, but Amazon is already casting for Season 3, and one big name is the dreamy Jensen Eccles of Supernatural fame. He joins the cast in Season 3 as Soldier Boy, and it's at this point that I'm reminded that The Boys is actually a comic book series with established characters that some people actually know. Otherwise, the headline would read, A New Character Called Soldier Boy. Anyway, Eccles is very much on my wife's hall pass list, possibly even number one, And I can't say I blame her. I'd do him for sure, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. When my wife announced to me that she'd be watching The Boys because of this, I was happy because we don't have similar tastes in TV shows. But then I remembered that she hasn't watched the first 10 minutes of The Boys yet, and honey, maybe you should get through that before you commit to the show. Seriously, it's pretty messed up. Move over, Microsoft, you have company. Oracle, the database company, is reportedly interested in buying TikTok's regional business in the U.S. and others, same as Microsoft. Um, what? Yes, Oracle. But what we don't know is... Why? I mean, TikTok is a huge business with insane growth potential, and it was the most valuable startup in 2018, all of which is great. Is this one of those things like in football where you draft the best overall athlete and then figure out where to play him? Whatever the case, Microsoft now has another butt in the seat at the table that probably had one too many butts already, and that includes Microsoft, by the way. This is a very complicated deal already, and adding a second bidder into the mix doesn't sound like a great idea from a time management perspective, but Oracle appears to be in, so we'll see if an even worse suitor than Microsoft can close the deal. A never-say-die attitude is commendable, especially when you're fighting a losing battle against all odds. But sometimes, it's just downright annoying and borderline pathetic when the deck is so clearly stacked against you that only the really true believers can rally to the cause. And so finds Blackberry, yes, that Blackberry, whose licensing deal with TCL ends at the end of this month, only to be picked up yet again and run down the field. And this time, it's Texas startup Onward Mobility who is picking up the BlackBerry name and pledges that a new BlackBerry phone with 5G and a physical keyboard will come in 2021. Onward Mobility is the latest in a long line of companies that thinks you can stick a BlackBerry sticker on something and it'll sell, and they'll be the latest company to be proven wrong. Now, don't get me wrong, and by the way, BlackBerry fanboys, don't get your undies in a bunch. I like BlackBerry. I really, really like the Key 2. So much that I held onto that phone for months longer than my review period because it was clever and novel and sometimes it was fun to use. But it was also frustrating at times and it's hard to deny the fact that the physical keyboard takes up a lot of space that could just be used for a screen and virtual keyboard typing is often faster and easier. But if Onward Mobility has a better idea, go for it. I will be rooting for you, even as I wait for you to inevitably fail. Fitbit launched a trial program trying to detect signs of COVID-19 prior to a diagnosis. And it turns out 
They kind of can. With about 70% accuracy, your Fitbit can tell you whether or not going to that restaurant is a good idea or not. This is really interesting news. If it's, you know, actually true, this does come from the Fitbit blog, after all. But according to the post, your Fitbit can detect irregularities in heart rate and breathing a day or so before symptoms emerge, and these days, it's important to know as soon as possible. Of course, if you're not rich as hell, your COVID test is going to take several days to come back anyway, so this really won't change much. However, if your Fitbit warns you that it might be time to stay home, stay home, get tested, and don't leave until you get the all clear. If Mark Rober can get COVID, so can you. So just stay home. This week, on August 20th to be accurate, most of Google services experienced a pretty major outage across the board. Gmail, Docs, Maps, you name it. The repercussions varied from person to person. I've said before that most of my workflow is in Google from Gmail to Docs to... Well, okay, just Gmail and Docs, but I didn't suffer anything that I noticed on Thursday except for a bit of writer's block, and I'm fairly sure I can't blame Google on that. Fortunately, all services seem to be back up and running as of Friday morning, so that's the good news. But if you got yelled at by your boss, you can go to Google's status page and show them all the pretty elongated red dots on Thursday and show that it wasn't your fault. And finally, Microsoft Flight Simulator is out now, and by all reports, it's incredible. Haven't played it myself, but eh, maybe someday. You can tell I'm in no rush. The new game has the entire world to explore, including your house. That's right. Microsoft downloaded maps and imagery of the entire world, and if you fly over your house, you will see it there, and your damn 13-year-old still will not have cut the grass. Anyway... Everything isn't perfect. Folks flying over a suburb of Melbourne might have noticed something of a monolith. A 212-story skyscraper jutting out of the middle of soccer moms and barbecue grills. Turns out Microsoft used open maps for a large portion of the world, and open maps are created by user contributions. It's kind of like Wikipedia for maps, basically. And a typo caused this 212-story building to appear where a two-story building was supposed to be. The typo has since been fixed, but not before Microsoft hardly harvested the data, and created a tower that extends roughly half a mile into the sky. And let that be a lesson to you kids, never cite Wikipedia. Or something. Our Pixel 4a review unit has arrived, and folks, I gotta tell you, I kinda love this device, and what's more? I don't really know why. It's very strange using a phone that I thoroughly enjoy, but can't come up with one damn reason for enjoying it. Fortunately, I have a few weeks to figure that out still, but until I do, I want to talk about some friends of mine over at Zag. Zag, as you may know, is one of several brands under the same umbrella. All the companies under the Zag umbrella make various accessories for phones, and two of those companies make it into this tech yeah segment. The first is Zag itself, because they hooked me up with their Glass Elite Plus screen protector, and I need to tell you about my use of screen protectors because I don't usually use them. I basically have never used a screen protector, and after using the Invisible Shield Glass Elite Plus, I have to wonder why. I've been using it for about a week now, and it's perfectly fine. Actually, it's better than fine, for that matter. The screen is still highly responsive, and... Yeah, it just works. According to Zag, the screen protector also kills 99.9% .9 of surface bacteria on the glass. And when I asked Zag, that's really cool, how does it work? Their answer was basically, with technology! Aha! 
Okay, so for the record, COVID-19 is a virus, not a bacteria, so it won't protect you from that. A mask will, and stay away from other people. The other obvious benefit here is when, not if, but when I get a scratch in the screen, the scratch will be on the screen protector, in which case I can pop it off and put on another. I really, really should use screen protectors more, and thanks to Zag, I will from now on. But what about the body of the phone, Adam? You haven't talked about that yet, and you are right! I put cases on all of my phones, and in addition to the screen protector, Zag was also kind enough to send me one of its Gear 4 Slim cases for the Pixel 4a. The case that I'm using is the clear version, which is a ridiculous fingerprint magnet both outside and in. Once you carefully, carefully, wipe away the prints on the inside and insert your phone, you get a nice sturdy TPU case which will protect your phone from falls of up to 10 feet, and no, I have not tested that, and no, I do not plan to. My one criticism of the case is that the cutout for the fingerprint sensor on the back is a little off from the sensor itself, and it really triggers my OCD, but I try not to pay attention to it. It's like a sixteenth of an inch off, but it's noticeable. Don't at me. Overall, I really enjoy the protections that these accessories provide, and you really can't say much else about it. They just work. And I've always loved thin, clear TPU cases. This one definitely fits the bill. I've included links to both of those in the show notes and on the benefitofadoubt.com, so be sure to check them out. Plus, I know not all of my listeners will have Pixels, so I've included models for the Note 20, the S20, and the iPhone as well. Of course, if you pick any of those up, you'll be helping out the show, and I sincerely thank you. But for now, let's get back to the show. One of the most common criticisms that tech reviewers get is that they don't, quote, really understand the common consumer. And to be totally fair, that's not entirely incorrect. As a reviewer, I've used a half dozen laptops this year so far, and just as many or more phones. I've changed my doorbell so often that I built a portable doorbell rig. Every six months or so, I need to call my bank because I've reached the maximum number of devices that you can have your debit card registered on on Google Pay. All these are extreme edge cases. I get that. So, I want to give the common consumer a voice. I'm launching a segment of reviews going forward called the You Review, which may or may not be the final name. The premise is quite simple. What do you want to know about the phone? I want your questions, tests that you'd like me to run, photo samples you want me to take, within reason, everything. This should give you a voice in the review because after all, these reviews are for you. I already know if I like or dislike something and I can tell you why, but that may not apply to you at all. So ask me the questions you'd like to hear addressed on the show and you'll get your answers. I will answer as many as I can in the time I have. So sound off on Twitter at the official account Benefit of Dowd or at Dead Technology or on the contact form on benefitofadowd.com slash contact and ask the question that you're dying to have answered. Our first device up for the U review is a Google Pixel 4a. What do you want to know? Camera? Battery life? Fingerprint sensor? This is your time, and I hope to hear from as many of you as possible. Bring me your questions. The deadlines for questions is September 10th for the Pixel 4a, but honestly, the more complex your request, the earlier you should ask. I'll announce other phones that are going to be reviewed as they come up so that you'll be able to you review those as well, and I think we can all have fun with this, so let's do it.
You know how you'll be watching a product launch event from one of those big companies and they bring on spokespeople in great looking suits or in some cases turtlenecks to talk about the latest products? Well, our next guest is one of those people. He's a veteran of the stage for Lenovo, introducing such concepts as the Star Wars Jedi Challenges and the Lenovo Yogo Smart Tab. He's been at Lenovo for over five years and he's a prolific writer both on the Lenovo blog and on LinkedIn as well. But you won't find him on Twitter or Facebook because F those guys. While Wahid Razali, Director of Consumer Marketing. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and thank you for joining us because this is uh, this is exciting. I've been a fan of Lenovo for many years now. My primary laptop is actually a Lenovo ThinkBook Generation 3, I think. It's a yoga. It's, it's, I reviewed it like three or four years ago. So I've been spending some time with the duet thus far, and I actually wrote a first impressions piece earlier this week. This is going to air much later, so... <laughs> In context, this is when I'm recording it, but I've been using the Duet for for a few days now, really, really enjoying the experience, so I just wanted to jump on and uh, we could talk about the Duet and talk about just Lenovo in general. So um, let's just go ahead and uh, dive right in if we could. Lenovo is a huge company, and so before I get started, um, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to tell the audience what types of projects at Lenovo that have your fingerprint, because I know you're involved in a certain part of the company. I believe it's like largely smart home, tablets, stuff like that. So what kind of projects are you working on these days? What is your general general sphere of influence? Well, uh, I'm fortunate enough uh, to be leading uh, global product marketing for consumer products uh, in what would appear to be innovative devices, uh, and that includes uh, tablet, um, tablet, ish devices, um, smart devices, AR, VR, and that, that's been the case for, for about five years, as you mentioned. Um, and so over these five years, it, quite some products that, that would have some of my fingerprints on them, uh, as okay. you mentioned. I like how you put this. Um, and so uh, the most recent ones, uh, just to name a few, the Lenovo Yoga Smart Tab, uh, the Lenovo Smart Clock in the smart home area. Uh, we have an Indiegogo pre-launched a little bit smart frame uh, that we were trying to ramp up uh, over the next few months. And uh, they recently uh, reviewed the uh, topic of our conversation uh, today, the Lenovo Chromebook Duet. So it's pretty uh, wide in terms of categories of, of products. Um, yeah. But the, that's, uh, that's what I've been fortunate to work on. And it's really a passion of mine. Um, so happy to be doing what I'm doing. You wear many hats. I can respect that. Okay, so let's go ahead and start off by talking about the Lenovo Duet and Chromebooks in general. Um, Lenovo's been one of the strongest manufacturers of Chromebooks since the beginning, since they first came out. I'm just kind of curious, what is Lenovo's overall philosophy in regards to like Chromebooks? Meaning, like, who are they for? What are they meant to be? Stuff like that. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that... Um Chromebooks have been around for, for a number of years, um, and we look at them as a, a true embodiment of what a modern PC is for specifically the digital natives. And I'll give you a little bit more of, of who these guys are uh, from our point of view. Okay. Um, there's a, a whole set of, of uh, the population um, who doesn't know what a save button is. That's a very uh, ancient <laughs> way of dealing with you know content creation. And their first personal device uh, for creating and consuming content is uh, outside of school, a mobile phone. Um, and so these are the guys that uh, will definitely be looking for uh, and paying attention to Chromebooks. Uh, and that is in the consumer space, of course, right? 
Right. Um, there's been a, a strong push historically from, from Google on the education market. And um, we're seeing for the past couple of years uh, a strong uplift in consumer. Uh, so uh, we're uh, looking at our new products to definitely be having an edge uh, in, in uh, that side of the house, making sure that they appeal to consumers as uh, full-on modern PC options for them. And gotcha. uh, so you'll see in our lineups uh, across the board more colors, uh, which is definitely a departure from you know enterprise type of deals, uh, including education, um, more premium material versus more ruggedized devices. Uh, historically, um, we employ, for example, in, in, uh, a lot of our chassis uh, aluminum alloy, uh, and that's the case on uh, on part of the uh, Chromebook Duet construct. Um, form factors with the Newton new innovation that we would not necessarily have brought to um, uh, to Chromebooks a couple years back, um, so like convertible and detachable, uh, in, uh, biggest span of uh, screen sizes and, and also just, just point blank uh, cutting edge capabilities with 4K displays, um, bigger range of supported, you know, uh, color gamut and uh, pen input, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, um, I know you asked me also who who are these people? They're students and and young professionals for the most part, in their capacity of you know individual consumers, aged between eighteen and uh, twenty eight years old, and they're always connected. They're heavy users of Google apps and uh, and overall the Android ecosystem. So we think we have a, a great knowledge of of uh, who they are and what they want, uh, and we continue to work um, listening to them to make sure we bring them the best value. Digital natives who don't know what a save button is. Okay, personally, I'm team file save, so I totally get that. But, I mean, I do a lot of work in Google, and when you said that, I'm just like, it made me think like, oh, yeah, I never have to push save when I'm writing scripts. That's, that's, how, that's outstanding. So I love, I love how you put that. That's, that's, that's brilliant. So now the Duet is one of the, the few Chromebook tablets that are out there. Google even, Google itself announced that it's pretty much done with tablets. So... I'm just curious, what is it about Chrome OS that made you feel like, and by you I mean Lenovo, of course, feel like it needed to come in a tablet form factor? Why does Lenovo believe in Chrome OS in a tablet form factor? So, uh, like, oh, uh, your, your, your question implies a lot of things, and, and some I want to challenge, some I'll leave unaddressed. Absolutely, um, I'll let, bring it on. I'll let Google, <laughs> I'll let Google comment on, on what Google said, but um, from the definition you give of the the Chromebook Duo, you call it a Chromebook tablet, uh, which it, it can be, but it's really built technically as a detachable Chromebook, and that's okay. um, what makes it uh, as, appealing, as appealing as it is in the in the early reviews that we've been uh, seeing popping up, in, including your early uh, uh, first impressions, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it is uh, the complete package of what you would expect um, from a Chromebook, uh, but delivering the versatility of the tablet usage. When you completely detach it from every other part that make it a whole, uh, you have a tablet that is built um, looking like a tablet that can live on its own. And in my view, um, that's what makes it uh, as appealing as it, as, it, as it is from uh, target consumers we've, we've talked about. And early sales confirmed that. I think I've seen some reports um, happily calling us out on, you know, sold out everywhere. So that's a good problem to have. Um, that is a good, very good problem to have. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I wish we, we we could we could 
you know, make more faster even, uh, but it's yeah. coming. It's coming. Um, so, um, why do we believe that this is the, the right form factor is essentially your, your question, uh, if I mm -hmm. may rephrase it. Sure. Um, we do have um, a specific position as Lenovo in, in the Chromebook market because we're a respected brand with uh, undeniable expertise in both the PC side of the, the, the uh, consumer spectrum, but also on the tablet uh, side. And so that what made us uh, consider a detachable that would be able to feel much more like a you know a, a true tablet when completely detached, um, and we saw that position as quite unique in the market. Um, there's a lot of um, brands that play in the space of Chromebook, um, but none of them have uh, as strong of a, of, of a position uh, in in building both respectable tablets and respectable laptops. Um, and so uh, we went at it in that uh, uh, with that with that in mind. Okay, and and actually that answer answered my next question, which was about now. That being said, I'm not going to ask the question, but I am going to take a moment to just acknowledge the fact that you ship a keyboard in the box with a duet, and thank you, thank you, thank you for that because. I mean, that's honestly the one thing that if you watch tablet reviews, whether it's iOS tablets, whether it's Windows tablets, whether it's, you know, Chromebook, you know, Chrome detachables or tablets, the first thing every reviewer will say is, why doesn't this key come with a keyboard? Because if you want this to be, you know, a, you know, a pseudo laptop, you need to have that type of input. So you ship a, you ship the Duet with a keyboard in the box. And I think the, the fact that you call it a detachable acknowledges that point you know you don't really see it as a tablet you see it as kind of like a somewhere in between worlds which is great i mean for me it's wonderful and i just want to say thank you <laughs> so. uh, you're you're very welcome i'll say this if you go back two years ago um we did have you know a very wide range of considerations and including like could it be a standalone tablet which would be solely used you know with touch as an input and eventually make an optional keyboard just like most players you've mentioned are, are doing today. Right. Um, but very quickly, uh, collaborating with uh, the, the Chrome uh, OS team at Google, one, one fact came out is that you can't really tap into the full potential of what Chrome OS has to offer if you're not considering the keyboard as an essential component of your experience. And so that's where um, it quickly moved towards you know, you know, setting our mind to building a great detachable experience. So yeah, mm -hmm. from there on, it was definitely coming with a keyboard. One hundred percent, I love that. So, so um, now that we've gotten that out of the way, I want to talk about a little bit more about Lenovo's portfolio. And actually, this is probably the part where we're talk about a lot of the different things that you have your fingerprints on. Um, Lenovo likes to play in the fringes of the technology space. Um, Lenovo was one of the first companies to work with Google in the smart screen space. I actually have a 10-inch uh, Lenovo smart screen upstairs in my kitchen right now. Um, some might even argue that the Chromebook tablet like the Duet or the 10e is not exactly a mainstream device. And but from augmented reality like Star Wars Jedi Challenges to last year's smart alarm clock, just I'm just curious, what is driving Lenovo to play in these maybe more niche spaces? We have a company vision, which is uh, smarter technology for all. Mm -hmm. And so these examples you mentioned are all great examples of how we are uh, challenging the status quo 
in just generally the computing space um, through meaningful innovation and trying to be uh, offering things that are novel for the consumer um, by packaging uh, technology into a meaningful use case. So you mentioned uh, Star Wars Jedi Challenges. Um, it was the first experience in the market in the consumer space. And I dare to say in, in, in tech in general, that actually took a technological hot topic, augmented reality, but put it in the backseat. And it was all about the experience, giving the ability to uh, a group of fans of Star Wars to wield what felt like a, a real lightsaber. And so we do want to keep pushing the envelope and we want to be leading uh, what we call the intelligent transformation. And in the consumer space, it means uh, pushing these new experiences and use cases that are going to be bringing, you know, a smile from a smile on your face to significant amount of time saved in your busy day. Yeah. Um, and doing this, uh, we're, we're, we have a very thorough process of, of learning, continuous improvements, listening, um, and uh, working with the best tech partners in the world. Um, and so um, this recipe is proven successful for us to be able to come up with what may appear as, oh, uh, this is a surprise. I did not expect this product coming out of you know Lenovo or anyone. Mm-hmm. And so the, the secret sauce is when a consumer insight meets a technical hardware or software solution breakthrough, um, you have these uh, you know noticeable uh, geeky products uh, unexpected that come out of the uh, portfolio. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll admit that um, Star Wars Jedi Challenges, I, I'd, I'd heard of that. I hadn't really had a chance to play with it yet. But then I saw that you had a Marvel edition of that come out, I want to say, about a year a year ago or so, something like that. Um, something involving the Marvel heroes where you could throw Captain America's shield and uh, cast spells like Doctor Strange. Very cool stuff. And, you know, I'm kind of I'm a bit of a VR head myself. I have a uh, Oculus Quest that I play with quite frequently. So um, if you could uh, if you could bring Jedi challenges over to the quest, I'd be (laughs) I'd be first in line. But anyway, different conversation. So um (laughs) Um, so I wanted to uh, circle back because you talked about working with partners on you know various things, technological partners, and I know you actually referenced earlier when we were talking about the duet working with Google, and and I understand that Lenovo worked very closely with Google on the duet, and I was just wondering if you could talk about that specific working relationship and Lenovo's relationship with Google in general. So um, I, I, again, that's a sensitive question, but I I think uh, I can tell you a little bit of the. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need to know what the engineers had for yeah. breakfast. That's cool. <laughs> so it, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it was a true collaboration, um, is mm-hmm. what I'll start by saying. Um, it's easy to assume that Lenovo you know, came up with most of the hardware and Google came up with most of the uh, uh, software. Of course, that's where each of uh, the company's expertise in this project uh, uh, is, is uh, concentrated. However, uh, it was a true... Uh, exchange where one was influencing the other. So mm-hmm. what I'll say is I've seen instances where we came up with a feature uh, that was driven by hardware that led to prioritizing uh, software implementation. Uh, so as an example, the way you know when you detach the tablet, it switches to tablet mode on the software side. 
mm-hmm. um, is something that was brought forward with the desire from us to actually build a detachable. Um, and so without a detachable, this feature doesn't really need to exist in the way it exists. Um, right. But there's also consideration from, you know, that are related to hardware, such as the screen size. Um, you know, you can imagine that we considered multiple screen options and the decision was jointly made uh, for what we were uh, expected the usage would be for the people I've, I've described at length. Um, mm-hmm. It made more sense to have it as compact as possible, to make it as mobile as possible. Um, so that was a joint decision also. So hardware and software really uh, worked together uh, to be integrated as one. Yeah. And you mentioned um, specifically you were talking about, you know, the tablet going when the keyboard's attached, it goes into like a tablet mode. I also noticed that when I flip the keyboard all the way around to the back, it also uh, swaps into tablet mode. And there's hardware. I think that I, I want to say I felt like a magnet or something like that, that kind of like triggered that switch. Uh, so, I mean, that has to be a collaborative effort because you have to build in the hardware that's going to trigger the software to do its thing. So it's really great that you're able to work, you know, side by side with a vendor like that in order to, you know, give a really good experience. And, um, and my experience with, uh, with that particular aspect was, uh, was quite pleasant and surprising. So I'm um, glad to hear. Yeah. Wahid, I very much appreciate your time and for coming onto the show and chatting with us a little bit about uh, Lenovo's overall vision and the Lenovo Duet, which I am very thoroughly enjoying, and my review will be coming on that in uh, just a few weeks, so stay tuned for that. Um, is there anything that you'd like to... I, I'm going to go ahead and turn the floor over to you if there's anything that you would like our, my listeners to know about Lenovo, about any exciting projects you have coming up, um, anything like that. It, the floor is yours. So where can we find you on the internet if you want to go that direction? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will not use the, the, the forum that you're extending very generously for me to, to brag about uh, what work I do and where you can find more of me. Rather, I would say thank you, first and foremost, for uh, uh, taking interest in Lenovo and giving us a, a space to go deeper into what makes us unique. Um, and what I really would like people to take away from, you know, uh, this chat that we've had uh, uh, is uh, we take uh, our mission very seriously. Uh, we're on a path to continuous improvement and uh, what we're focusing on uh, with all of our heart and attention is uh, putting consumer and customers at the center of everything. So in Lenovo products across the board, um, you'll find... Uh, products getting better over time and you'll find products that have that little extra thing um, that will delight you uh, as you use it. Um, We welcome any type of feedback and uh, if your audience wants to reach out, they have my name. I'm not hidden on the internet, but you're right. I'm not on some platforms because (laughs) I don't have time. It is not because I despise these platforms. Let's be clear. Well, yeah, I was. I read over uh, a LinkedIn post I think you had uh, about doing a social media audit, and um, and I remember you got to like Twitter and Facebook. And you're like, yeah, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, if it weren't my job to be on Twitter, I wouldn't. I would agree with you. But I left Facebook behind a long time ago. So, um, but uh, yeah. So again, thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for giving us your time. Thank you for having me.
So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'd like to thank Wahid Rizali and Lenovo for sitting down with me and chatting about Lenovo's more fun side. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his work behind the scenes. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.